Hey, Northridge family. It's great to have you back this weekend. Last weekend, we had that power outage in Plymouth, and I'm telling you, it just absolutely killed me. But, you know, it is what it is. And I'm sure glad that whatever regional campus you're at, that you're here this weekend for our unforgettable series speaker. He's an old friend of Northridge. He's the pastor of Cross Point Church. He and his wife, Brandy, started it in 2002, and, and now it's reaching over 8,000 people per weekend at five campuses. And he's the recent author of a book called What Keeps You Awake at Night. I'm so excited about having him here this weekend. Would you please welcome back to Northridge, Pete Wilson. Uh, thank you, guys. Thank you. It's so um, just uh, humbling and honoring to be a part of this church and what you guys are doing. I just love it. I'm very thankful. I, I think I feel like this might be like my fifth summer to be here with you guys. So uh, it does. I know. Oh. Um, y'all are uh, y'all are sweet. Oh, y'all don't say y'all, do you? You say you guys. You guys are so sweet. But I say y'all because uh, I live in Nashville. I'm actually from Nashville and grew up in Nashville and pastor a church there in Nashville. But uh, love being up here in this area. In fact, I was watching the unforgettable kind of bumper and watching those kids in the back seat with their pillows going to visit their grandparents just brings back so many memories for me because uh, my parents actually grew up about 45 minutes outside of the Detroit area. And uh, so I have grandparents still here and, um, and a lot of other family. But I can remember as a kid, us packing up in Nashville and loading the back seat of the car, and we'd have all of our pillows back there. And my parents, I had a sister that was just 13 months younger, and before we even left Nashville, they would divide the back seat, right? And like I had to stay on that side, she had to stay on that side, no fighting, no hitting. And we would drive up here to this area and spend a couple of weeks with my grandparents, and it was always such just a great memory. So I love uh, kind of being up here in this area. And um, I really love this church. I love what you guys are doing. I love your pastor. I love uh, the courage, the integrity yep. um, that he leads with. It's just, um, has been really inspiring to me. And I'm grateful for leaders and pastors uh, like Brad that have been just a great influence in my life. So you guys are in this series called Unforgettable. And uh, for me, it's, it's pretty timely because I, I, I have some very positive, unforgettable memories uh, but I also, even in recent weeks here in our country, have some unforgettable memories that maybe aren't quite as positive. And I don't know about you guys, but I, I think for our country, the past couple weeks have been really, really tough. Um, and we've seen and we've observed some things that um, could lead us to believe the worst about humanity. And that's been kind of my experience. Is that there's something inside of us as broken men and women living in a broken world that sometimes draws us to the worst of humanity, especially when we see things happen that we know just aren't right. And it kind of brings something up inside of us. And so uh, I was hoping that maybe today uh, you guys would allow me to kind of just talk through some things that, that I'm wrestling with personally uh, as I observe recent events here in our country and uh, maybe kind of relate it to a story out of the Bible, which I think could bring all of us some hope and some help and maybe some guidance and some direction. Uh, I'm going to ask for your grace. I, I realize any time that we talk about current events, there are a lot of emotions 
that swirl around that, a lot of opinions that swirl around it. And maybe we're not all on the same page in what we think and what we believe and what we feel about these kind of things. So if you guys will kind of just give me a little bit of grace to kind of talk through some of this with you guys. Um, but I, I think, again, I go back to this thing that we live in this world where there is, there is joy, right? And there is wonder and there is adventure. That's part of the unforgettable journey. Um, but there's also a lot of pain and there's a lot of suffering and there's a lot of heartbreak and there's a lot of disappointment and there's broken relationships and there's crime and there's victimization and there's prejudice, there's hate. And yes, there's, there's death. And all these things kind of lead us to a place where it's real easy to ask, where's God? I've personally asked that a lot over the past couple weeks. Where's God in all this? And while that's an okay question, I think it's a fair question. Maybe it's a question that a lot of y'all are asking, like, where is God? I don't think it's necessarily the best question to ask. It's, it's definitely not the best first question to ask. I think maybe a more fitting question for times such as this is not where is God, but where are you? Where are you? Where's your heart? What's your response to all this? Um, I want you for the next few minutes to kind of picture your life like a play. And there is an upper stage and there's a lower stage, all right? Now, the upper stage um, is kind of the heavenly realms. The upper stage, there's things going on that you and I just, we, we don't get to see these things, right? They're unexplainable things to us. It's stuff taking place in the spiritual world that we just don't know about. That's the upper stage. Then there's the lower stage. The lower stage is where you live. The lower stage is what you see taking place kind of day in and day out uh, in your life and among your family and at work, all right? Uh, and I'm going to show you a story from the Bible that illustrates this upper stage and this lower stage so well, all right? And there's a book in the Old Testament uh, called the Book of Job. Uh, when I was a kid, I didn't really know a whole lot about the Bible, and I thought that it was the Book of Job, and I thought it was about jobs, and I thought, well... That's awesome. If I ever need a job, I will look that book up, all right? And so that's what I thought it was about. Turns out I was wrong. It's about a guy by the name of Job. And Job goes through this season in his life that is tremendous crisis that leads him to a place very similar to a lot of us where Job's asking, God, what, what are you doing? And God, where are you? And why is this happening to me? Now, some of us are asking those questions for different reasons. Some of you are asking those questions because of recent events in our country. Others of you are asking, where is God? Because of a personal crisis you're going through. Maybe it's a marriage that feels like it's falling apart. Maybe it's finances that are collapsing. But a lot of things happen in our life and in this world that drive us to ask, where is God? And so you're going to see in this book, in this story... Um, how this kind of plays out for Job. All right, so let's start kind of in the beginning. This is Job, and this is Job chapter 1, starting in verse 6. And it says, One day the angels came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came with them. The Lord said to Satan, Where have you come from? Satan answered the Lord, From roaming through the earth and going back and forth in it. Then the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? There is no one on earth like him. He is blameless and upright. He's a man who fears God and he shuns evil. Does Job fear God for nothing, Satan replied? Have you not put a hedge around him and his household and everything that he has? You have blessed the work of his hands so that his flocks and herds are spread throughout the land. Now, this, this like, okay, 
For, for those of you who are maybe new to the Bible or maybe you're kind of new to church, like this story is going to sound really weird. And what you need to know is those of us who have been around the Bible for a long time and studied it for a long time, like we think it's weird too, all right? Like it's just a weird story. And your first read of this, it sounds like what's happening is that God and Satan are having this wager and that God is somehow using Job as a pawn in this wager. Now, the big question that's taking place on the upper stage, right? And by the way, that this whole part of this story is taking place on the upper stage. The central question that's kind of taking place on this upper stage is, does Job fear God for nothing? And here's what Satan essentially is saying. He's saying, Job is devoted to you, God. Job worships you because it's in his best self-interest to do so. All right, he's saying, hey, Job treats people equally. Job loves people. Job does the right thing. He does the noble thing. He loves justice. Only because it's kind of this deal where you scratch his back and he scratches your back. What Satan is saying is, hey, God, um, you think that Job loves you, but Job really only loves you in the way that, like, kids love the ice cream man. Right? That's kind of how Job loves you. He loves you because it's in his best self-interest to do so. And so that's kind of the central question that's playing out, that's kind of unraveling here on this upper stage. Now, here's the ultimate irony of this story. Most people read the book of Job, and they say, this is a story where God is on trial. Right? And they say, you know, the, the question of this story is, how could there be a good God and Job go through so much crisis? How could there be a good God and so many bad things happen to a really good man? And people think that this is a story where God is on trial. It's interesting because right now in our country and really around the world with things that are going on, a lot of people think that God's on trial. How could there be a good God and the things that happen in Dallas happen? How could there be a good God and the things that happen in Baton Rouge or Minnesota happen or what happened in Orlando a couple weeks ago or what happened in France or what's going on in Turkey? Like people can look at all that and say, we think God's on trial. How could there be a good God and all of these different things be happening? What's so interesting is this story of Job is not a story where God is on trial. This is a story where mankind is on trial. And Satan is the prosecuting attorney. And what Satan is saying is that people will not hold on to hope. People will not hold on to love. People will not hold on to grace. They will not hold on to integrity. They will not hold on to character when there is no reason to do so. When there's not something directly in it for them. And so make no doubt about it. This is not a story where God's on trial. This is a story where Job's on trial. This is a story where mankind is on trial. And can a human being hold on to hope and love and grace and character and integrity and do the right thing, even when there's really no reason to do so? Now, let me summarize, all right, just for time purposes, a major chunk of the story. God is going to allow Satan to inflict all kinds of crises in Job's life. Job is gonna go from being someone where like he has everything, like the world is at his fingertips, everything, all the charts of his life are going up and to the right. I mean, everything is good. And like that, he starts to lose everything. 
everything starts to unravel. And when things start to unravel and Job starts to feel like he's losing control, Job does what almost all of us do, and he goes to why. God, why? Why would this happen to me? That's where some of you are right now, right? God, why me? You kind of just lay there in bed at night. God, why my marriage? God, why my kids? God, why our finances? Why our house? God, why me? That's where Job goes. That's normal. That's what we all do. Job has some friends that kind of jump into the equation. And his friends feel like it's their personal responsibility to help Job answer the question of why. And so some well-meaning friends get in and they start offering some really bad advice. This is Job chapter 11, verse 14. This is what his friends say to him. They say, hey, Job, if you put away the sin that's in your hand and you allow no evil to dwell in your tent, then you will lift up your face without shame. You will stand firm and without fear. You know what his friends are saying? His friends are saying, hey, Job, um, your sin is what's brought about this suffering. They say, hey, Job, you want to know why your life is falling apart? You want to know why things are so difficult right now? You want to know why there's so much crisis? It's because you've got some kind of sin in your life and you need to get that sin taken care of. You need to repent of that sin and you need to seek God again. And if you do that, then all of your life's going to come back together again and everything's going to work out fine. But clearly, you've done something wrong, and you need to kind of figure this out. This, by the way, was just a common theology of this day, right? This is just kind of the way that this was their theology about suffering, all right? Um, if you did the right thing, if you did the noble thing, then that meant you got blessings in your life, right? If you did the wrong thing, if you did a wicked thing, then what happened is there would be calamity in your life. Everything would fall apart. And that's the way that they thought God worked. That's the way that they thought suffering worked. In fact, what's interesting is that hasn't changed that much, right? We still have some of those same thoughts today in the church. Some of you think that sometimes, right? When your life's falling apart, you're like, what have I done wrong? Oh, my. I've, I've done something wrong. and I, I must have done something wrong. There's no other reason that these bad things would be happening in my life, right? You've had friends come to you and offer well-meaning friends that have been like, I don't know why you lost your job, but clearly, like, you must have been doing something wrong. So you need to fix that, whatever that is, and, you know, you'll probably find another job. Like, we, we hear this kind of stuff. I remember, um, I was thinking about this um, last week. Because I, I, last week when I was just watching the news and watching some of this different stuff unfold, I had this feeling of, like, I don't know... You know, sometimes you just feel hopeless, even if it's just for a minute. You're just watching stuff, and you're like, how is this happening? Like, how are we at a place where we're still struggling with prejudice, and we're still struggling with, with hate, and um, we're still struggling with, with terrorism, and we're still, like, and, and you watch all this stuff, and you're like, I, this is just, I, I don't get it. And I remember feeling uh, this was... Yeah, the week before last, I remember feeling kind of similar to how I felt on 9-11. And I know it's two completely different events, and I'm not trying to compare one current event with another current event. I just remember around 9-11 feeling that kind of feeling of helplessness and feeling that kind of feeling of what in the world is going on? And how could my one little life ever make a difference in the midst of all this? And um, so... I, I was thinking back to 9-11, and I don't know if any of you guys remember this, but 9-11, there were a couple different um, spiritual leaders who quickly stepped up to the microphone and announced that they knew why 
God allowed these terrorist attacks to take place. And the terrorist attacks took place because there was sin. And they blamed it on sin, but they didn't blame it on the sin of the terrorists. They didn't blame it on the sin of hate. What they blamed it on was the sins of our nation. And like God must have given them like some extra wisdom because they even knew specifically what sins in our nation just happened to bring about these terrorist attacks. And beyond that, those particular sins just happened to line up with their political agenda in that moment. How ironic that all that just worked out, right? And so I remember listening to all that and thinking, uh, I, don't, I don't think I buy that. Like, I, I, think that, I think there's a lot more to all of this than just that. And I don't know if you guys remember this, but Jesus one time spoke to an, a current event that happened in his life and his ministry is Luke chapter 13. And there was a tower that had fallen and the tower killed 18 people. And everybody in Jerusalem was coming up with reasons why those 18 people were killed. Everybody in Jerusalem was like, because this was the current theology of suffering in that day. Oh, well, there's a reason that that tower fell on those 18 people. Those 18 people must have been doing something wrong. They had to have been, because like that tower could have fallen in this direction, or it could have fallen in this direction, but it didn't. It fell in this direction, and it killed those 18 people. So there must have been something that they were doing that was wrong. And Jesus stepped into that moment. Luke chapter 13, this is verse 4, and this is what he had to say. He said, do you think that they were more guilty than all the others living in Jerusalem? I tell you no. You know what he's saying right there? He's saying, no, listen, you guys got the wrong idea. Like, and sometimes there's things that happen in life, and there's unfortunately really no great explanation for it, but it certainly isn't necessarily tied to something that they did wrong. And Job, and I don't know how he knew this, but somehow Job and his wisdom knew that this was much deeper than something that he had done wrong. And I'm sure Job had done some wrong in his life. I'm sure there's some things that he could have tried to tie his current events back to something that he had done wrong in his past. But he knows that it's deeper than that. And so God, or Job, just keeps going to God and he just keeps saying, why? Why? Why is this happening? And then Job chapter 38 Job kind of got his wish, and God comes from the upper stage to the lower stage, and God actually has a conversation with Job. And if you want to later on, you can go look up Job chapter 38 and read the entire conversation. It is a very uncomfortable, awkward conversation because you have Job who's just like, why? Why is this happening? And then God fires all of these questions at Job. At first, it seems like these random questions. He fires questions at Job like, Hey, Job, where were you when I laid the earth's foundations? Hey, Job, like, do you know the dimensions of earth? Job, do you know the laws of heaven? Job, who provides food for the raven? It's just one question after another. And it seems like God never even gets around to answering the one question that Job actually has, which is just why. And so you read through this conversation and you have to ask, why does God keep firing all these questions at this guy who's just hurting and going through crisis? Like, is God frustrated with Job? Because Job just keeps asking, why, why, why? My wife and I, we have three boys, and they're kind of growing out of this stage now, but there was a season in time where all they asked was why. And it was unbelievably annoying. Like... 
like, I'm serious. Like, you could just be driving them. I could be driving them to the grocery store. They'd be like, well, where are we going, Dad? We're going to the grocery store. Well, why are we going to the grocery store? We're going to get groceries, geniuses. I mean, that's why we're going to the grocery store. Got to get some food. Like, well, why, why are we getting food? I was like, because, because like, we're hungry. Well, why are we hungry? Well, because God designed us that way. Why, why did God design us that way? And that's when you just roll down the window and you scream as loud as you possibly can. And, and you're like, I understand now why some species of animals eat their young, right? Like, I, I get it, you know? So, like, is it possible that God's just frustrated with Job? And he's like, I can't take your questions anymore, right? And so I'm just going to fire a bunch of my own at you. Is God trying to prove to Job that he's smarter than Job? Is he trying to say, hey, Job, get this. You have a finite mind. I have an infinite mind. Is that what's going on here with all these questions? See, most Bible scholars think that there's a very specific pattern to all these questions. And if you look closely, actually, it's really amazing because what Job wants is Job wants an answer to the question of why. God actually never gives him, right, an answer to that question, but God gives him something much more important. And what Bible scholars believe is if you look at all these lines of questions, what God is actually doing is revealing something about his character. Job wants to know why, God's about to tell him about who, about who he is. Let me just, this is just one example, all right? One question from Job chapter 38. This is what um, God, one of the questions that God asked Job. He says in chapter 38, who, who cuts a channel for the torrents of rain and a path for the thunderstorm to water a land where no man lives, a desert with no one in it? He says, hey, Job, like, who does that, right? Who, who makes it rain like in a desert, like where nobody even lives. And what God is saying to Job is, I do. It's kind of God that I am. I'm a good God and I'm good for no reason at all. I give for no reason at all. And this whole section, if you read through these lines of questions, it's just God caring for and delighting in and taking care of and giving to animals and people and things that will never actually do anything good for him at all. Because this God of the upper stage is a God who is endlessly good and he's uncontrollably generous and he's irrationally loving and he gives for no reason at all. He's saying, this is just my nature. And again, I don't think Job ever gets an answer to the question of why, but he discovers something so much more important. He actually discovers who God is in the midst of his hurt, in the midst of his crisis, And this whole story kind of culminates in Job chapter 42. I love this. This is verse 5. And and this is um, Job talking back to God. He says this. He says, my ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. My, my, My ears had heard of you, but now I've actually seen you. You know what he's saying here, right? Like, because I think this is so cool. Don't miss this. Some of you have experienced this in your own life, right? Uh, There was a season where... You had heard about God's grace, right? And it heard, it sounded pretty, pretty amazing, right? To hear about God's grace. But then there was that moment in your life where you actually experienced God's grace. And there's a big difference, right? Between hearing about God's grace and actually experiencing God's grace, right? Maybe there's a season in your life where you had heard about God's faithfulness, 
But then there's that moment that you experience God's faithfulness. There's that moment that you just thought you could never even pull yourself up off the floor, and yet God gave you the strength and the grace to do so, and you knew in that moment that he was so faithful. It was one thing to hear about it. It was another thing to actually see it and to actually experience it in your life. And what Job is saying here is, listen, my whole stinking life is falling apart. And I got a lot of questions about why and how could there be a good God and yet there be so much evil and bad. And none of those questions are being answered. But God, while I used to hear about you, through all of this now I see you. And I see that you are a good God and you're good for no reason at all. And so now I can trust you. I can trust you with plenty And I can trust you with loss. I can trust you when my life makes sense. And I can trust you when my life doesn't make sense. I can trust you um, when I feel like I have control. And I can trust you when I feel like I have no control. Because while I used to have like heard about you, now I've actually seen you. So I trust you with my life. And I don't have answers to why. But it's okay, because now I know you, and you're a good God, and I trust you with it all. Job gets to this place where it changes everything. And that's why, friends, I think the most important question that we can ask right now is not where is God. The most important question is where are you? Right, where are you? Because again, to go back, to the central question that was playing out on the upper stage. Could a human being hold on to faith and to hope and love and integrity and character and do the right thing even when it seems like there's no reason to do it? Right? Is that you? Because see, the beautiful thing about this story is that Satan was dead wrong about Job. Dead wrong. He was dead wrong about God. He was dead wrong about life. He was dead wrong about this universe. And I hope that he's dead wrong about you. Because the central question kind of our story is, can a human being hold on to faith and hope and love and character and integrity when it seems like there's no payoff at all? And one could and one did. His name was Job. And numerous others have since then. And now I'm wondering about you. Where are you? Why are things happening that are happening? I don't know. How long are they going to go on? I don't know. Is there end in sight? I don't know. Will how you respond, will what you do with your one and only life make any difference whatsoever? More than you could ever imagine. And I really do believe that the eyes of heaven are on every one of our little lives. And that what we do in moments like this is of eternal significance to our great God. And I think sometimes the temptation for us is, uh, especially in church, is to kind of write a script out for you and to tell you exactly what your next step should be. Um, But I'm not going to do that. Because I don't know what your right next step is of obedience in your life. I don't know what your next right step is in regards to things that are going on in our country and our world are. I don't know. But I bet you if you seek God, it'll become pretty clear 
what the next best loving thing is for you to do. And what I know is that throughout history, one single step of obedience can change everything. Isn't that true? That's kind of the story of the Bible. Like there's a guy in the Bible by the name of Peter. He knew this extremely well. There were a couple moments in his life where Jesus gave him one simple step and he did it and it changed everything. Like one time he was fishing, he was out on this boat and he hadn't caught anything all night and Jesus kind of walks up on the shore and Jesus says to Peter, hey Peter, why don't you throw your net on the other side of the boat? Peter's like, no, I I got this. Like I'm a professional fisherman. Like we've been fishing here all night. We've caught nothing. There are no fish in this area. Jesus like, hey, what, what do you got to lose? Why don't you try it? Just throw it on the other side. Peter's like, all right, grabs the net, throws it on the other side of the boat. Scripture says he caught more fish than he could pull in. One single step of obedience. There's another time, Peter's out on a boat. They're in a tremendous storm. Jesus comes walking out on the water. He's like, Peter, why don't, why don't you step out of the boat? Peter's like, do what? Like, you want me to step out of the boat onto the water? Jesus is like, yeah, just step out of the boat onto the water. Peter's like, all right. One single step. He becomes a water walker. His life would never be the same again. One simple step. And so what does that look like for you? Again, I don't know. Maybe it's that tomorrow at work, um, when that group of people start to tell that joke, that stereotypes a particular type of person, you just choose to walk away and not participate. Maybe that's what it looks like for you. Maybe what it looks like for you is that um, tomorrow you smile at someone that in the past you've always judged. Um, maybe for you tomorrow it's um, you sit down with someone of a different color than you. And you just say, could we, could we have a conversation because I would love to hear your heart. I would love to hear how things in the past couple weeks have impacted you because your story is different than my story and so I bet it's impacted you differently. And I, I'd love to know how like, I could pray for you during this time. So could we just, just have a conversation? Maybe for you it's tomorrow you pass a local law enforcement official and you just stop and you give them a hug you, you should ask their permission before <laughs> you do that. Um, but if they're cool with it, um, like give them a hug and just say, hey, I'm praying for you. Know that you've got a really difficult job day in and day out. Just wanted you to know we're praying for you. Like, I don't know. I don't, I don't know. I don't know what your next step of obedience is. I just bet that if you seek God, he'll show you. And my prayer for you is that you'll have the courage to live that out with hope. And let me tell you, here's why I know we can do this. Because we know something that Job actually didn't know. And what we know is that one day, that same God of the upper stage would leave the upper stage and he would come down to the lower stage. And he would become one of us. And he would live this perfect life and one day he would go to the cross and on the cross he would take all of our pain and all of our suffering and all the evil of this sorry, broken world. He would take every bit of that upon himself so that one day all of us who choose to believe in him and follow him could live with him on the upper stage where there will be no more suffering and there will be no more tears. And that, friends, should give us a hope to live our lives differently. And so I believe that. 
I believe that for my life, and I believe that for your life, and I really do believe the eyes of heaven are on every one of us right now. And what we do is of eternal significance. Will you guys pray with me? Heavenly Father, um, we just thank you for the opportunity to gather. Um, I know that in times like this, there are a lot, a lot, a lot of hurting people, a lot of confused people, a lot of broken people. And God, it's really easy for all of us to just turn to the question of where are you, God? How could you be a good God and so many just painful, regrettable, hateful things be going on around our world? And while that, again, is a fair question, God, I think there's a more important question that we can be asking right now, which is where are we? Where am I? What is my response? What's my heart's response to what's going on? And how can I, instead of believing the worst about humanity, which tends to paralyze us, how can I begin to be driven by hope, which allows my life to bring about very needed change? God, could we be those kind of change agents? Could you fill us with an unexplainable hope for difficult times like this? God, we're grateful for you. We're thankful for you. May you give us the courage to live out whatever our next step of obedience is. For it's in your holy and your precious name that we pray. Amen. Um, before you guys take off today, uh, there's a little program that you're handed. There's a connection card in there. That connection card is so important. All right. And so uh, if there's any way that you want to connect here at Northridge, maybe you made a decision today uh, to receive Jesus for the first time, you can mark that. You can drop this little connect card in the boxes on your way out. Also, this is really important. Um, there's a time of prayer here, right? And so if maybe recent events have just brought up a lot of anxiety for you, maybe you just want someone to pray with, someone to talk to, there's a prayer team that'll be down front immediately following the service and you can come forward and you can uh, pray with someone and I know that that'll bring you a lot of hope, a lot of help during this time. Uh, we're so glad that you guys were here today. I hope you'll be back next Sunday for the continuation of this series, Unforgettable, and have a great week. Thank you guys.